Father, we are so in awe of you this morning. We stand in amazement at the fact that you, by your grace, have set your affection on us, have drawn us into relationship. The King of kings and the Lord of lords has saw fit or has seen fit to pull us in. Rebels, those who are hostile to you, those who were enemies, and you have made us friends. You have called us to be children. Oh, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. May that truth grip our hearts this morning. And may it lead us into humility, the right posture, the right response as we come to terms with the truth of who you are and who we are in relationship to you. May we leave as people not who have more knowledge because knowledge puffs up, but may we be those who are people who put knowledge to work. May it change us, transform us, make us new, and, and may it strengthen and deepen and widen and broaden and all of those, those words of richness. May, may our relationship with you grow and flourish because of an understanding of the significance of this passage this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. This is the second to last sermon in our series. We got one more to go next week, and then we're done with 1 Peter. It's, uh, it's been an amazing uh, venture, um, opportunity for us to, to look into the word together and let, uh, let Peter, through the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, guide us through better knowledge of Jesus. I would encourage you to open your Bibles with me. If you don't have one, it's in the pew Bible in front of you, page 1016. Follow along with me as I read through verses five to seven, please. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, there are three commands in this passage this morning. Can you help me identify what those commands are? Can you spot them out? What, what, what are the commands that you see? What do you see in terms of of Peter coming alongside this church? He's got some things for them to do. What what are the three commands that you see as we walk through these uh, three verses? What's the first one? Be subject. That's good. We're going to talk about that some more. So be subject is the first command. What's the second one? Okay, clothe yourselves with humility. Good. There's this humbling process. So clothe yourselves with humility. That's the second command. What's the third one? Humble yourself. Okay, so, so here we are. Be subject, be humble, be humble. What's the theme of this message today? <laughs> what does Peter want you to know? What does the Holy Spirit want us to know this morning? He wants you to be humble people. Now, 
We're in verses five to seven, and, and the relationship of, of this verse with the previous verses would maybe give you some idea that Peter has an agenda here, right? Because in verses one to four, Peter's talking to elders. He's talking to this group of individuals who are providing oversight and shepherding care and, uh, and love for this flock of people. And then he, he turns the corner in verse five, he shifts his focus, and now he's focusing his attention on younger people in this church at large, be subject to your elders. Well, that could, that could seem a little self-serving, right? <laughs> okay, Peter, I, I, I get it, yeah. Great command, Peter. I know where you're going with this one. But as we walk through this text today, Peter's heart is not about how submission of this flock in response to him will benefit him as an elder. His heart is for the people of this church. He wants them to come to the place of recognizing that there is no other quality, no other attitude, no other spiritual habit that you can have that is better and more beneficial than humility. Now that is antithetical in our society today. Our world wants nothing to do with humility and the reason is because they want nothing to do with God. And if you struggle this morning with humility, and, and I get the fact that there are, in, in all of us, this, this inner uh, compulsion to put ourselves in the forefront, but when we do that, we rob God of glory. And all of this letter has been about the glory of God. All of this letter has been seeking to invite you not only to enjoy the glory of God, but to participate in fellowship with God and enjoy the glory along with God and to be a conduit of glory to others that as people see you, they see God. And that's what Peter wants here. That's what we're gonna see as the amazing benefits of those who decide for themselves they will anchor their hearts in a high view of God, which would lead them to satisfaction and humility and service. We're gonna see that this morning. There is nothing else in this life that matters more than humility. Because nothing else comes. Faith doesn't come. The love and obedience to God doesn't come unless it goes through the conduit of humility. But before we talk about humility, we need to understand humility a little bit. I wanna to try to provide some, some working definitions for us so that we can kind of clear the air and, 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 and arrive at an at a understanding of humility that we can work with together and, and we'll provide some synergy as we look at this text. Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 version, puts humility this way. It says, in ethics, it's freedom from pride and arrogance, humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth, in theology, humility consists in, in lowliness of mind, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God, self-abasement, uh, penitence for sin, and submission to the divine will. Every time we talk about humility, you may not have or, can, or will not have humility unless you first have a proper view of God. 
And in relation to God, then everything will begin to fit in order. You'll begin to have the right understanding of yourself. As you look at Creator, you'll begin to understand yourself as creature. As you look to Him as Savior and as King and as Lord, you begin to understand that you're subject, that you're slave, that you exist to glorify Him. And as we've been saying all along, we've been saying that we exist for Him. He does not exist for us. He is King, He is Lord. You're subject. I'm subject. We exist to bring glory to him. We begin to get that in, in the right focus, then we begin to understand humility. And so humility is not necessarily uh, an attitude that we have as much as a response to the truth that we know, right? And as we come to really recognize the truth of who God is, it begins to condition our hearts to say, well, because I know the truth, I'm responding to the truth in this way, which says, you are creator, I am creature, and nothing else matters at this point. Andrew Murray, who is a theologian from the 1800s, has put it this way in his book, Humility. By the way, if you have not read that book, I would commend it to you. It says, humility is simply acknowledging the truth of one's position as creature and yielding to God his place as creator and Lord over all. C.J. Mahaney in his book, Humility, also uh, a little bit uh, maybe more accessible, a little bit more contemporary, a little bit easier for for you to read perhaps. It's uh, beneficial in, in many ways. I would commend it as well. It says, humility is honestly Assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. If I were to boil that all down into maybe hopefully a, a summary statement that's memorable for us this morning, I would say humility is when you become small and God becomes big. Maybe using, if you've read that book by Ed Welch, when people are big and God is small, I'm reversing that so that we can actually have humility when we become small and God becomes big. That's humility. It's responding to the truth of who God is, recognizing who you are, and the condition of heart moves you in the direction of humility. It's only then that faith can happen. It's only then where you can begin to respond to truth. It's only then where the purposes of God begin to trump and and overcome the purposes that you have in your own life. And you begin to recognize that as God is sovereign in your life, that the, the things that he introduces into your life are good. And as you respond to the things that God has given, however difficult they may be, you say, God, I trust you. I'm humbling myself before you. I'm I'm receiving this and I'm going to allow your purposes to work in my life in spite of hard things. So this morning, I want to commend humility. The first point is you need humility. I need humility. You cannot have God without humility. Because as we're going to see in our passage today, God opposes the proud, but gives grace one way. He gives grace to those who are humble. You want God's grace? Come to understand who he is. 
and cultivate humility in your hearts. We're gonna see in the little bit of time that we have uh, how that plays out in our passage today, okay? The first is found in verse five, okay? So there are, there are three commands I wanna just touch on briefly, and then I wanna, I wanna come back to, to help us understand the benefits of humility. What are those incentives of humility? What do we get to enjoy because of humility? And then hopefully we'll have time at the very end for a, for a couple of very tangible, practical examples of how to nurture and cultivate humility in your life, okay? So here we go. First, be submissive. Be submissive. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, all throughout this letter, we've seen these little words that are clues that keep pointing us back into the passage. This word likewise, we've seen already two other times. We saw it in chapter three, verse one. We saw it in chapter three, verse seven. In, in chapter three, verse one, uh, the verse says, likewise you wives be subject to your husbands. And, and that, that word pointed back to the previous context in chapter two, verse 21, where we find that uh, it says, Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Because that's the example we're to follow. Likewise, this is what your life should look like. This likewise word is look to Jesus. We see the same word in chapter three, verse seven, where it says, likewise, husbands. This word that continues to point back to Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. And then, of course, we have the word be subject, which we've seen numerous times through our, 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 our time together in the word. Be subject, the hupotasso. We saw in chapter two, verse uh, 13, where it says, be subject to governing authorities. We saw it in chapter two, verse 18, where he says, slaves, be subject to your masters. We saw it in chapter three, verse one. Again, wives, be subject to your husbands. And, and all throughout this letter, we're seeing this, this uh, let's see, rapid succession and, and, and collection of words that help point us repeatedly back to Jesus. Jesus is the supreme example of, of all of these things. Chapter three, verse 18, Christ suffered for you. Chapter four, verse one, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves in the same way. Chapter four, verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Chapter five, verse one, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Is there, is there any is there any mystery about what's on the Apostle Peter's mind as he writes this? Likewise, look to Jesus. Recognize, if you want to enjoy a life with God, if you want your life to be a reflection, a window to God, so that people see Jesus in you, then there must be something true. There must be submission. There must be humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself nothing, taking upon himself the form of a servant. Be like that. Let people see God in you, the gospel in you, Jesus in you. And when we get humility wrong, we pollute the gospel. That is what the danger is. 
Be submissive. There's a lot of things at stake here. Be submissive. I'm sure as Peter was writing these words, uh, the, the last meal, the Passover supper, right before Jesus was crucified is what, what came flooding into his mind. Let me just introduce this to you and, and show you some of the similarities. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 27. It says, a disciple also arose among them. This is the final meal. This is when this is going down after three years of ministry. How do they not get this yet? A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Just a pause for a moment. That word, lord it over them, is the same word we see in chapter five, verse four, talking about elders who are not lording it over the people, that same correlation. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the, what church? Youngest. That's interesting. That should also sound familiar. Let those who are younger be subject to the elders. Moving on, verse, uh, the second part of verse 26, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Be subject, all of you. I believe as, as Peter is writing this letter, you can, you can see this word younger, you younger be subject. I, I think it certainly applies to younger individuals as opposed to those who are older in the church, but, but I think it's probably better for us to see this as, as a distinction between those who are elders versus those who are not. See yourself as one who is younger. Put yourself in a place of submission under the authority that God has, has put over you. This is a benefit to you. See yourself in this way so you can enjoy and experience the benefits he's gonna talk about in just a little bit. Now, why is this important? Have you ever felt at periods of your spiritual life where, you know, if Jesus were right there, things would be so much easier. If you could just actually talk to him and, 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 and put, a, put a, an arm around him, if, 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 he, could, if he could talk to you in, in close proximity and say, hey, it's gonna be okay. Are there times, aren't there not times in your, in your spiritual life where you just think, if Jesus were just tangible, then my Christian life would be easier. I think this is the opportunity. See, God puts authorities over us to help provide a gateway for relationship with him. As we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the authorities that we can see, however broken, however dysfunctional, <laughs> however unjust they may seem, it is a way for us to put a tangible element on submission because if you're not submitting to the people that God has placed over you, servants of God, then you're not gonna be submitting to him. This is your, this is your golden opportunity to, be, to put rubber to road in terms 
of experiencing the tangible expression of submission. Submit to the people that God has put around you so that it will help condition your heart to be ready to submit to the one you can't see. Be submissive. Verse five moves it a little further down the road. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. And this word to clothe yourself is the, is the word to tie on an apron of a slave, to dress, okay? So rather than talking about humility again, I, this has the, the goal of service. Be a person who is, who is clothing yourself with robes of service. Be a servant, so be submissive and be a servant. That's what's next. That's a, another perspective of humility. That's how we begin to cultivate humility in our life. Again, we go back to the upper room, right? Again, again this flash of recollection in Peter's mind. And he, he remembers this, this uh, essential night where Jesus not only talks about humility and submission, but he models it for, for his disciples. In John chapter 13, verses three and four, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. That's the picture that we're talking about right here. Clothe yourself with humility. Jesus, after washing the disciples' feet, will, will come back to this uh, living illustration and will press the point home in verses 12 to 16. He says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Understanding humility and putting it to work through service is another way for us to cultivate this spirit that is aligning itself with the heart of God. You recognize why you exist, and it's not to draw attention to you. It's not for people to serve you. It's for you to be a workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God's purpose for you is to serve like Christ served. And notice, this is not a general humility. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. You cannot act out, work out this, this command without being part of a fellowship. You need to be part of the body. It's humility in relationship to others. Humility that benefits the body. It serves others. It acknowledges others. It affirms others. Again, Peter provides a very tangible way to nurture humility in your life. It's not the kind of service that happens in the forefront. There is that kind of service too. But it's the kind of service that is often uncomfortable. It's the kind of service that takes a little bit of risk sometimes. It's the kind of service that costs you something. Maybe kids' ministry. 
maybe landscaping, maybe shoveling snow, maybe cleaning toilets, maybe inviting people over into your homes, whatever it might be, there is this posture of tying on the towel and following in the footsteps of Jesus. So you can model and nurture humility. I like what John Piper says. He says, humility only thrives where God thrives. Humility is only big where God is big. When God goes, humility goes. Humility is like the shadow of God. And if you want to walk in the shadow of God, you're going to walk in humility, following after him. Verses six and seven give us our third command. We see, it says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This word, humble yourselves, is a different word. It means to make low, to level off, to make humble. And, and I think this provides a, a different perspective. As we're humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. I, I couldn't find just one word that encapsulated what I wanted, so I, I gave you three, all right? So to be secure, to be settled, to be satisfied. It, it means that you are so Secure, so confident in who God is that, that everything that he has laid out at your disposal is, is enough. And that as God has given himself to you through Jesus, you, you recognize, I'm full. I'm satisfied. I have all that I need in him. Everything else is just extra. And all that I really need, I can trust that God will provide. As I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these things will be added to me. I can trust that. I can be settled in that. I can be satisfied in in knowing that God is in control. To be secure. And as we have said before, we adorn our lives with humility. We, We become smaller in our view And God becomes greater in our view. And we recognize that he is in control. He's got all things covered. I can trust him. I can humbly receive the things that God has allowed to happen. So we need humility, but we also need a higher view of God. And and that's where we turn our attention next in just the next few minutes. I wanna just point out some of these benefits. Hopefully, This will be just a preview of what you'll do for yourself. I want to just introduce them to you and encourage you to maybe use the study guide uh, or to go home and and, uh, and to to study this for yourself. But I want you to recognize that that there there are benefits to humility. And it's not like I do humility so that I get these things. It's that when my life is lived in relationship to the truth that I know, then I begin to experience the things that I really want, and what I really want is God. And I happen to get all of these great things that happen when I'm in community with God. That, that's what I'm really after. I'm not after the stuff. It's not just humility so I can get the stuff. It's, so, it's humility so that I can experience God. Does that make sense? Look at these with me. It begins in verse five. This is the first benefit slash warning. (laughs) The first is that what does God do to the proud? What do you say? He opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Nothing should terrify you more than that statement. The God of the universe 
is set himself, the word is in battle array against the proud. But at the same time, nothing should give you more comfort to know that God has set himself against the proud people who are uh, oppressing you. You can trust him for that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We can, we can trust him in response to the proud. But as it relates to us, we need to have a reality check. We need to recognize, as John Stott writes, pride is more than the first, more than the first of the seven deadly sins. It is in itself the essence of sin. When when you have a heart of pride, you say that all of the things that God has has put off limits don't apply to you because you can have whatever you want. You can fill yourself up in any way. You are the one who matters, not God. Piper says, what is the worst thing in the universe? (laughs) Having an almighty God against you. God resists the proud He's hostile towards the proud. He opposes the proud. He arranges himself in battle array against the proud. But the converse is always true, is also true. (laughs) Second, God gives what to the humble? He gives grace to the humble. (laughs) And and this word in the Greek is, is in the present tense, which means that it is a active, it is a continual, it is an all-present kind of giving, that God delights in giving grace. It is a, is a reflection of his benevolence. It is a reflection of his character. And so the more he's able to do that, the, the, the more he gets glory. And so he enjoys humble people because as they're in relationship with him, he can, he can just manifest his shining grace to them. Grace that is more than just saving grace. Grace that is the presence of God, the the favor of God on a life day after day after day. And I love what Jeremiah says in a very broken, very troubled Jerusalem in Lamentations chapter three. It says, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his his mercy fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There is Sunday mercy for you. There is Sunday grace for you. You can fill yourself up. It will take you through the day. But tomorrow, you need Monday mercies. May we find in humility this continual expression of running to grace, running to the source of mercy so we can find grace and help in time of need. Third, God will exalt you. We see that in verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, I want to dispel any misconception that you have. This is not about God exalting you individually. This is about God exalting himself through you. (laughs) It's about putting God on display. It's always about that. But you get to participate in the glory of God as as your life points to the wonder of who he is. And and he calls you and invites you into relationship with him. And so when when he is glorified and your life points to his glory, there is exaltation for you because you've been part of the greatest purpose in the world. Grace is favor of God 
for you. This grace of God to allow you to enjoy the benefits of the exaltation of God through your life. We don't have time to to talk about Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 34, but, but as God is leading the people out of Egypt with his strong hand and his outstretched arm, who gets the glory? The outstretched arm is the arm of God, and so as our life points to the power of God and as people see his power in our life, they celebrate the wonder of who he is. It, our life calls attention and exalts him and worships him through that process. Finally, God will care for you. Verse seven, notice, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. How will you know God's providential care? How how will you come to experience God's kindness in your life? It only happens one way. It only happens when you cast your cares upon him. It only happens when you unburden yourself, you unload your anxieties, and then you begin to see that God is full of compassion, full of mercy, full of help, full of support. You get to enjoy the care of God. And God delights in giving care for big things and little things. He delights in giving care when two people are stuck behind passport control and want to be able to go encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. The the big things of of trying to be gospel conduits and and God cares about the big things. But, But God also cares about the little things like when I'm underneath my van yesterday and I'm trying to put in a motor mount and things are not working and I say, oh, Please, Lord, just allow these three screws to line up because right now it's not working and it's too hard. God cares about that because God cares for you. And God delights in showing up to give you unexpected joys of his provision in the big things, in the little things of life, lining up screws in the bottom of a stupid van. Those are the non-essentials, but they are essential to God because you're essential to God in terms of of being a conduit of of glory, of his glory to others. When people see God show up in your life by answering prayer, God gets the glory for that and God delights in showing off and flexing his muscles and, and taking credit for those things. So let me just cover a few, just a few very briefly. I know I'm way over, I'm sorry. A couple of, uh, of applications, way to grow in your humility. First, reflect on the wonder of the cross. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, there is only one thing that I know that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to the dust, and that is to look at the Son of God and especially to contemplate the cross. When you come to terms with your rebellion, and you see what your sin cost God, it better humble you. It will humble you. It will crush you to the ground as you see the work of God in loving you to the point of death, even death on a cross. That God the Father crushed his son for you. 
to convey and invite you in to a relationship with him. So when, when you choose to forgive, you understand that, that sin is not primarily sin against you but that sin is primarily against God. And so when that we forgive, we agree with God that sins are covered in Jesus. That's why it's such an offense for us to say, ah, I'm not gonna forgive you. When God himself has said, when you ask for forgiveness, I will give it to you. May we not corrupt and pollute the gospel by choosing not to forgive. Second, actively submit yourself to the leaders that God has put in your life. Learn the joy of submission wherever you are. They are there for your protection. They are there to help you nurture humility and faith in God. See them as an instrument of God to lead you deeper into relationship with him, not as an obstacle for the things that you want to happen. See them as a blessing. Third, put on the apron of a servant. Choose to find ways to serve the body wherever you are. Fourth, cultivate a posture of thanks. I, I, I love the verse in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you've been taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Those who are truly in Christ, those who are truly of faith are those who have an abounding heart of thanksgiving. It will just continue to explode. It will continue to grow because the more you know about who Jesus is, the infinite, eternal, inexpressible wonder of who he is, the more your heart will grow in terms of thanksgiving for him. And fifth, cast your cares on God. Cast your cares on God. I know many of you were praying for Alex and I as we waited behind passport control. And in some ways, we were at an advantage in that situation. Because without knowing the language, without pulling any strings, without having any leverage, not being able to work the system, not knowing all that was happening, not being able to even communicate because we didn't have any access to network connections or Wi-Fi, wondering if the last 24 hours of traveling was gonna be off or not, it left us in one place, the only place that every believer should be, and that is resting and hoping and waiting for an answer from God. That was an advantage, not a disadvantage. Because we only had one resource, one recourse, and that was to humbly trust in the sovereignty of God. May God help us to embrace humility, which is embracing the truth about who God is and who we are so that we can become small and God can become great. Let's pray. Oh God, we want to make much of you in our lives. We want people to see Jesus and to know the gospel. And oh God, if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus, I'd pray that you would give them the heart of humility. May there be urgency in their life of wanting to know you more. Activate and awaken their heart spiritually so they can come to saving knowledge of Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.
Thanks for coming. God bless you this week.